Hey, everybody, this is pop culture critic John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, mom reviews the Beyonce concert film Homecoming. Let's bring mom in now. Hi, mom. Hi, Johnny. How are you? I'm good. Did you have a happy Easter? Well, it was sort of an old fart Easter, I have to say. But even sadder, even sadder than having an old fart Easter, I did not go to Target on the day after and get tons of half-price Easter candy, which makes me a little sad. Uh, Why did you miss it this this year? Uh, I just didn't feel like it. Well, my sister, my sister is having a very bad bout of pneumonia and at some point ended up in the hospital where she is now. Um, so it's sort of been a, an emotional week, you know, a lot of worry and such, but things seem like they're clearing now. So it's better. Well, that's good. But that is why I did not go and get Easter candy. Oh, so you missed out on the... Uh, now, what I think we yeah. discussed Easter candy last time, or um, recently at least. Do you like a slightly stale Peeps, right? Or do you like them yeah. very stale? I, I, I don't mind them very stale. I just love them. I think they're... I love them. I love how the sugar grits against your teeth. Ugh. I think that's probably very good for cleaning them. And then I like how chewy they are and how mushy they get. I just, I think there's just nothing. Although I have to say that now the little, the little wax eyes are, are a little hard, harder than they used to be. So I'm not sure that they're not uh, plastic. (laughs) Wow. It does sound like eating them though is a rather sensual experience for you. Well, I don't know if it's, sensual, but there is a process. I do, I, you know, I do have a process. Oh. Well, yeah, you know, I like to bite, I like to take the eyes off because they're too crunchy, and I think they're, I think they used to be little blocks of wax, but now I don't know what they are. They're, they're too hard. So I like to take those out, and then I like to crunch that head off and kind of rub it against my teeth, you know? Like a sugar scrub. Oh, it's giving me the shivers to even think about it. Ugh. <laughs> and then I kind of like to suck the inside marshmallow out, and then you're left with a shell of sugar and marshmallow that, again, crunch, crunch, crunch. Uh, I love it. Okay. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed your peeps. Uh, I don't like them, and well, I like them much? even less after hearing how you eat them. <laughs> Um, but the kids discovered them for the first time this Easter, and they love them. Really? Oh, yay. Yeah. I'm so happy. Yeah. Leo was so funny because you got him peeps on a stick this year, and he thought it was a straw. That's, that, what, did you see that on the video or something? Did we FaceTime or yeah. something? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, we had an Easter egg hunt. Uh, the only odd part of uh, my Easter, we had a wonderful Easter. The weather was beautiful, and like I said, we put together a little Easter egg hunt for the kids, and they had a lot of fun. Eve was very good at it. I wasn't sure whether she would get it or not, but she did uh, at a year and a half. And we went to uh, my friend Josh's place for a nice Easter uh, dinner, I guess. But, in, you know, you eat in the afternoon. It was a beautiful day. The Friday before that, I went to the gym, and my trainer was asking me, you got anything going this weekend? I said, well, you know, we'll be celebrating Easter. And he said, oh, really? I didn't think you were religious. I just was like, well, I'm not really, but but it's just Easter. It's And, um, you know, I feel like when I was a kid, these holidays, Easter, Christmas, were well along the way to being secularized. And anybody could celebrate them or not, you know? And right. Right. And it wasn't really, and I just feel like because of the way that the culture has just injected warfare into every aspect of our daily lives, like, so Easter is now a religious holiday again? It's not to me. It's a, again, yeah. It's a day when you get baskets and, you know, there's an Easter bunny, one of the worst holiday mascots, I guess I'll say, in the pantheon of holiday mascots, the Easter bunny is pretty lame, but that's all, that's all fine. I was so struck. I didn't even know how to answer this question. Like I didn't. I didn't no, think I you bet. were religious, right? How, what did I? What do you say to that? Well, you know, somebody you're going to see again. You know, I don't know what. If it was somebody you weren't going to see again, you should say. You know, I absolutely worship chocolate <laughs> and buttercream combined, <laughs> or something like that. But somebody you're going to see again, ew, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you and again, um, things seem like they're. When I was a kid, on Sunday, everything was closed. Nothing was open. On, mm. Not even the drugstore was open on Sunday. Mm. Um, and then it was quite revolutionary when it opened for a few hours on Sunday morning. But that was it. You know, like at noon, it closed. But I saw huh. when I was shopping in Concord, a number of stores that said they would be closed on Easter. Oh, yeah. You know, the bagel store and different different things that you would expect to be open were actually going to be closed. But as far as religion, you know, we've gone over this again. And I was raised Catholic, but I find the the molestation that has gone on in the Catholic Church just so re- yeah. repulsive to me. I just, I, I, I think they are real charlatans. Yeah. And now, I'm, did you see the the Boy Scout leader thing? No. What? Well, I don't know. There's hundreds of them now that are are being exposed for. That's probably not the best word, but you know. Yeah. <clears throat> the hanky panky that's going on there. Well, hanky panky yeah. is definitely not the best word for it, but yeah. Um, All right. There's no good words. There's no good words for it. No. All right. Well, this uh, I thought we were going to talk about peeps and fun, and boy, we got uh, it's. We, <laughs> well, your trainer's the one that ruined it. He is. He is. Well, what did you say? I I I said you know I'm well I'm not really religious, but you know candy and Easter baskets and an egg hunt that's you know we all do that right, and then it turned out he was doing something like that too. You know he was going to make a basket for his kids, so I don't know what I don't know where the question even came from but oh, I'm sh- he had had a conversation with his mother or something that she was making him feel a little guilty <laughs> that's what was going on there well 
In any case, I had a completely secular and completely wonderful Easter. Did you have ham? No, uh, I had a, uh, Josh cooked a pork roast. Oh. So we still ate a pig. (laughs) Did Anna make her lamb cake? She did make her lamb cake, yeah. She didn't take a picture of it. I always love it because it looks like it's, uh, it's ready for a mental institute. I just love it. I look forward to the picture of it. What does that mean? Well, his eyes are wonky and... It's it's jelly bean eyes. You're getting yourself in some trouble here, you know. Anna listens. I know. Can you take this part out so she doesn't hear it? Nope. I love I love the lamb. The lamb of God. I love it. <laughs> I went to Maine last week with your brother. You did? Merrick. We did. And we went to a um, an Echo Shoe store where Merrick wanted some shoes. He wanted them like a year ago, but he dithered around and they... So they could find they could find the shoes for him, and they had him sent to the house. And he went here specifically to this store so that he could try some slip-ons on. And they came to his house, and they're the wrong size. Ah, yeah. Let me ask you this: for the listeners who uh, do not are not familiar with the New England area, I think all those little states in the upper right corner of the country to people from elsewhere, they just sort of blend together. Not for us, of course. So how yeah. would you describe the difference in character between New Hampshire and Maine? Mm. Well, I mean, I think in a lot of ways they're similar. And I don't know if you can judge, you can really make a good judgment because to Maine, to me, Maine always means like relax mm-hmm. and shop and indulge. Yeah. You know, like, let me have a little bit of lobster and then drink this whole cup of lobster flavored butter. <laughs> yeah. The chaser. Yeah. You know, it's indulgent to me, but it's, it's, it's sort of, I don't know what is a good word for like Northern hillbilly. Well, I think that uh, you're right. You know, after I asked the question, it's a tough one because I, Maine and New Hampshire both have this rugged independent streak. Um, yeah. Right. That <clears throat> I think New Hampshire and Vermont are easier to contrast, even though they look like mirror images of each other on a map. I think New Hampshire and Vermont, um, the ethos of those two states are more different than New Hampshire and Maine. I feel like New ha- Maine is um, bigger. It's more of a vacation spot and it has the ocean more than New Hampshire does. You know, we only have right. that little sliver of shoreline. That's right. That's right. Vermont. What do they say? Vermont is like a manicured New Hampshire. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, New Hampshire has more rough edges. In New Hampshire is very hard to describe, though, because you know there's parts of it that are very uh, with it and and yeah. up to date. But I mean, I even tend to think of New Hampshire as hickey. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We, oh, my God. You know what, Johnny? We have a new neighbor that moved into the house next door. Mrs. Broadhead's now, house or a, Marie Passetta's yeah, house? Yeah, Mrs. Broadhead's house. Oh, wow. Okay. So here's the question. She has a little dog that she takes out several times a day, and she is never carrying a poopy bag. Oh. How do you know? Maybe it's in her pocket. Oh, I watch her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't pick up? 
she goes out, she takes this little dog out several times a day with no, I'm watching her. I mean, I'm watching her from in the house and, you know, I'm not exactly sure what her route is now, but, you know, I don't want to be picking up her dog crap all summer. Yeah. Have you actually seen the dog poop and she fails to pick it up then? No, I have not. You haven't. More spying is necessary then. She's she's an older woman, so I think I wouldn't feel bad about going out and yelling at her. (laughs) Yeah, because this is more my neighborhood than her neighborhood. Yeah, but how does the fact that she's elderly uh, change the calculus? Well, she's she's not going to beat me up. Okay. Um, Now I'm picturing like Jimmy Stewart rear window here with the binoculars. Is that you? Uh, no, I only use the binoculars downstairs out of Daddy's office to watch the lady next on the other side that feeds the ducks. What are you watching her for? To see when she's feeding those ducks and if she is feeding them. And to look at the ducks. What do you... What? Why, why do you care? Because she's... She fed, and I'm not exaggerating, over 100 ducks this winter, and they quack, quack, quack all the time, and they're driving Daddy crazy. (laughs) Too much quacking. Too much quacking. Oh, wow. Small town life is not as idyllic as people sometimes make it out to be. It can be very difficult. No. Because now this other woman, this dog woman, why was out in the yard picking up tree branches and throwing them, you know, in the back there. Yeah. And she said, oh, I'm doing that in my yard, too. And I thought, you know what? Take a step back because we can't be friends till I figure out your dog poop situation. I can't I can't get entwined with you till I figure you out. Hmm. So you can't even be friends with this person uh, until you see her break out the doggy bags? Is that what you're saying? No, until I find out whether she is using doggy bags. So if she's not using doggy bags, if you establish that, then you can still be her friend or not? No, I don't want to be her friend. (laughs) She's going to let her dog crap all over the front of my house. Then when I sit out in the yard, I have to smell it all summer. Or... Or I could do what I used to do with Mimi, and that is just gather up any and all dog poop that's in front of the house and throw it in their backyard. Mimi is the woman who occupied this house previously when I was a uh, child. Mimi Broadhead, not a made-up name. Um, what, what did she do for a living, Mom? Aside from She drink. was a French teacher at the high school. She was a French teacher. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, wow. So you've got uh, dogs on the one side and ducks, quacking ducks on the other side. Quacking ducks. Yeah. And they're driving dad crazy. Oh, yeah. Because we all know how hard that is. <laughs> you know, dad listens to yeah. this. Well, okay. Shall we move on to homecoming? <laughs> Before I create any more familial strife. Okay. Beyonce's headlining performance at the 2018 Coachella Music Festival was already the stuff of legend before the singer had even left the stage, complete with its own Beyonce-provided nickname, 
Beachella. Now, a year later, Beyonce's Coachella sets are available for viewing in the convenience of your own home, courtesy of Netflix. The film version of Homecoming combines footage of Beachella with behind-the-scenes documentary material that gives insight into Beyonce's inspirations for the show, foremost among them the culture of historically black colleges and universities. Here's a clip. I was 218 pounds the day I gave birth. I had an extremely difficult pregnancy. I had high blood pressure. I developed toxemia, preeclampsia. And in the womb, one of my baby's heartbeat paused a few times, so I had to get an emergency C-section. It's my first time back home on the stage after giving birth. I'm, I'm creating my own homecoming. And it's hard. There were days that I thought, you know, I'd never be the same. I'd never be the same physically. My strength and endurance would never be the same. Homecoming is available to stream on Netflix. Mom, did this film make you want to join the beehive or did it kill your buzz? Oh, it killed my buzz. It did? Oh my God, yes. You were not entertained by this? Oh, Oh, I was entertained, but I was also confused and at some times appalled. Appalled? All right, well, let's start there. What was appalling about it? Well, the, some of the lyrics to her songs are quite ugly. Such as? Just the subject matter. You don't have to cite the actual lyric, but what are you, you know, what is the ugliness that you're referring to? Well, I told you already, you could say it. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't remember you telling me. Oh, oh, uh, just talking. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. You uh, suck my balls. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. I mean, what does that even mean when when a woman says that? That doesn't. That doesn't even make sense to me. This this was this was my complaint, okay? Here's mm-hmm. my complaint. One, it was not a documentary. It it did not focus on on much more than Coachello and I Coachella. felt like the hmm? Coachella. Whatever. <laughs> Yeah. And I felt like throwing in these quotes from different um, black people mm-hmm. was sort of, sort of like, sort of cheap, sort of, you know, here, let me, let me shake my very scantily clad backside in your face. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and now here's a quote from Malcolm X. Like, what? What are what are you trying to say here? So it wasn't really a, a documentary about her homecoming. It was just the theme for her show. Let me address the bit about um, you know her having um, you know a booty shaking dance routine within minutes of a quote from alumni of uh, these HBCUs, right, alongside figures from the black community. To For me, I think that she's a pop star, 
right? And yeah. you have that's like the table stakes to me. So I I really enjoyed this. I find her magnetic. I mean, she's beautiful first of yeah. all, but I just find yeah. her stage presence um totally magnetic and her I don't know how she manages to um walk onto the stage dressed as uh, Nefertiti and still come across as a relatable human being, but she just has a smile and the way she uses her eyes and the way she relates to her audience, I find her very magnetic. So at the same time, this word kept popping into my head in regard to homecoming, which is like, this isn't just an autobiographical work. It's a bit of auto hagiography, right? Like it's about how great Beyonce is and is there a strong measure of ego in this, you know, in putting the bootylicious dynamic next to the more um, noble HBCU culture uh, aspects of it? And yeah, but to me, it's about Beyonce using her prominence as a pop star to say something of of substance and maybe not even say something of substance, although she certainly does that. But what hit me the most is it exposed me to this HBCU culture that I know very little about. Um, But I really, and you know, Greek life, just look at Greek life. Uh, You know, I went to Dartmouth where Greek life is a huge part of the culture and I found it repulsive. And, um, you know, while I was at Dartmouth, there was, they called it the student life initiative to, uh, you know, basically move beyond the Greek system that dominated right. and still dominates social life at Dartmouth. And the backlash from the alumni and from a huge part of the student body was incredible and baffling to me because I didn't understand why these, um, what to me was just a, a beer-soaked retrograde culture was had such prominence at an institute of higher learning. I still don't entirely understand it. I understand it better than I used to, but um, I do find it tedious. Uh, But it seems like Greek culture in uh, the HBCU universe, perhaps it has some of the problems of hazing, of um, misogyny that, um, at least in the fraternities, that the Greek system does in general. But clearly, it's also a, a much-needed source of identity and brotherhood and uh, self-expression. And we saw how hard Beyonce worked to bring that onto the stage, and it was accessible to everybody, white, black, everybody. Um, that, to me, is an accomplishment just to bring this stuff to me in such an entertaining fashion. Well, I think I think she is an enormous talent. And as you say, she's quite beautiful and obviously, you know, has, has a lot of attention uh, on her. And I think all that's great because she worked for it. You know, she worked hard for it and she deserves it. She deserves it. I just would like to see something at the end, even if it was not to spoil the mood, but something like in the credits that says, you know, money went to this college to support their music department or, you know, I just would have liked to have seen something more than to me what seemed like all about Beyonce 
and more about hmm. yeah giving back. I see. Maybe. I see something something tangible. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I do believe entertainment is a is a very important part of our lives. Uh, you know, I think it lets us let our hair down and relax and have fun and laugh and smile and feel good. I think there's a a real need for that. I just felt like this was not cohesive in what it was attempting to do. Well, Beyonce does have a um, sort of charitable arm of her enterprise called Be Good. And uh, in um, to coincide with this show last year, she set up scholarships uh, at four uh, historically black colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does put her money where her mouth is. Was that part of the show? No. But, um, you know, I think that I think that for the show, it's just all about the show. It's all about the spectacle. It's all about those two hours and maybe the sort of more tangible, concrete efforts. They're there, but the the concert was more about the Beyonce applying her cultural power rather than okay. her, you know, monet, financial power or what, what have you. Applying her culture, cultural power to give a platform to um, a subculture that is very meaningful to her. Yeah. And I think it would have been interesting. I think I would have enjoyed to see more of the hard work that went into the making of it. Yeah. I think that that would have enriched it. I saw how hard everybody worked, but the the clips of that were quite short. And yeah, uh, and it was a, a stupendous, spectacular show. But I think as a documentary, I I needed more of the other stuff. Wanted, well, it's sort of a... I wanted more of the other stuff. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's sort of this hybrid concert film documentary, right? The, the yeah. Documentary segments are more like clips. Yes. And I, I hear what you're saying, because we, for instance, we saw a scene of Beyonce, um, kind of a funny scene of Beyonce calling up Jay-Z when she can finally fit into uh, one of her old costumes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She can finally fit into one of her old costumes again. And we see this scene of her FaceTiming him and he couldn't care less. He's just like, uh, OK, yeah. great. And yeah. one of her crew makes a remark like, why do why do guys always, you know, not give a shit about this stuff? They're never as excited as you want to be about this stuff. They just don't understand. That was I think that's a glimpse into Beyonce's life that her fans, they're going to eat up every second of that. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, but you, as someone who's not coming into this as a member of the Beehive, as a huge fan of Beyonce, you wanted a deeper look into the making of this incredible show. Right. Well, and I, I enjoyed, again, I thought the pieces with her children were, yeah. um, you know, very touching. That, that you, you know, she, she loves her children and it was fun to see her with them. It was fun to see her with her husband. It was fun to see her dance with him on stage. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to see, I wanted to see her human side. You felt like we didn't see that? I I do. I feel like that. Not even in the section about, you know, her her pregnancy and how hard she worked to get back to the stage and all that. Oh, yeah. I I just would have liked more of that, yes. More of that. Okay, got it. Yeah. I mean, really amazing. 
you know, having had a few children myself, woof, you know, and then she comes out and she's all beautiful and, uh, and her stamina. I, I mean, yes. look, I mean, I, I don't know how she, how she did it for these two hours that this concert lasts. Right. <laughs> and there's little, you know, they offer her little breaks. There's dance routines. Um, you know, the bugaboos come out and they, um, you know, they have little interludes there where she can catch her breath and change costumes. And I mean, I bet you can't catch her breath that much because she's got to change so much. But yeah. Um, yeah. she's basically performing her heart out for two hours, dancing, singing and with intensity. I mean, that's what was astonishing to me is the intensity she managed to sustain. Yeah. I, I mean, it was hard for me to watch for two hours, let, yeah. it, <laughs> let alone do it. You know, it, it took some um, stamina even to keep up with her because just watching her gyrate made me a little tired, as invigorating as it was at the same time. Um, that's, you know, she has this tricky persona to manage mom, and I think you're getting at it, where she does come onto the stage as Defertiti. She is Queen B, right? The, yeah. The queen. And at the same time, like I said earlier, you... I admire how she can seem human and and relate to her audience um, so ineffably and yet so powerfully. And you're getting at it, too. You wanted to see more of her as a person. You know, you wanted it to be shaded more toward that human side. I think she has to maintain this balance as both a human being and as, um, you know, an icon to be to be revered and looked up at because, you know, because let's face it, nobody wants to see her slopping around in her slippers and her <laughs> and her sweat, right? Well, it's just illusioning. I mean, we see her at some lower points, but but those segments are in black and white, right? Yeah. Or a little blurry, or they're not um, they're not as vivid as when she's in her full regalia. Understandably so. And, 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 you know, I do want to touch on the point that you made in that when she, you know, even when she's in her little cutoffs and her shiny boots, which I covet, I want to tell you that, um, <laughs> she's powerful. She's yes. very powerful. And that comes through on TV. That that comes through on TV. Yeah. I can't imagine how electrifying that was in person. In person. I agree. Because, you know, TV really dilutes a lot of stuff. But, wow, she was really commanding. And, uh, you know, that comes from somewhere inside of you. And she just had lots of it. Yep. Yep. I do think that she, I think it was a very craftily composed film. And a, a very craftily composed film production, even. Because she had a crew shooting in, you know, modern HD. And then she's got crews shooting on what appears to be 35 millimeter film. Now, I don't know. This could have all been post-production, but it sure looks to me like they were actually shooting um, film stock here because otherwise the effect was so real that um, I'm impressed by their post-production talents. But in any case, it it shifts between all these different... um, views and you get her looking like Beyonce in 2018 and then you get an angle where she looks like it's like a 
almost like a Diana Ross, vintage Diana Ross concert film we're looking at, right? Yeah. Or Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Um, like I was getting at earlier, the whole thing overall is this amazing exercise in myth-making. And the way that she builds her myth, I find fascinating because by the end of it, she almost seems to transcend time. She brings this sense of history into the film and applies it to herself in a way that to me is is pretty amazing because it makes Beyonce seem even bigger than the moment. It gives her and it gives this performance a sort of transcendent quality. Well, let me ask you this because I have this in my notes. Was there a message besides Beyonce? I think everything that we've talked about, the lyrics, the the filmmaking, the costuming, the production, I think all of it feeds into a basic message of self-empowerment. She says again and again and through various words, see if you can see yourself in me or anyone on the stage here, she feels like she's accomplished something, right? She wants the people watching to be uplifted and to feel, you know, empowered is such a trite word, but she wants people to feel like they can forge their own identity as she has. Um, and, and I think that's the message. Okay. I like that message. I do like that message. The, the problem is that most people aren't, aren't her with that, you know, see me, hear me vibe. Right. You know, no, they're, they're going, not, they're but I don't. They're putting on their red shirt and going to work at Target every day and feeling like, eh, okay, load this shelf. And I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I, I got confused. I got confused with the message. I wanted there to be a message, but I, I don't think it was for me. The, the message wasn't at me, so I didn't get it. Hmm. I don't think the message is you too can be Beyonce. I think that the message is you have a power to define yourself as a human being and don't let anybody define that power or take it away from you. That belongs to you and you use it. Yeah. So however that manifests in your life and look, mom, again, she's a pop star, not a philosopher. So this is maybe not the richest philosophy, but I think it's a pretty important message in 2019. Well, and I think, too, I watched it with subtitles, sadly, because I'm that person. Um, and But I see that the people that were in the audience were singing along with her, so they know their lyrics and they know what she's saying. Yeah. I yeah. needed the subtitles to see what she was saying. Well, I think there's no shame in that. The songs move pretty fast. I mean, those people have listened to them hundreds of times, right? So, yes. um, yeah, there's no shame in that. Well, again, it, it detracts, though. It detracts from the power oh, of sure. it. Sure, yeah. I think when you have to read it. Um, and and obviously, I'm at a, at a point in life where, you know, my booty shakes just like hers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but for a whole different reason, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's because mine's falling out of the elastic or, you know, uh, we're at different points in our lives, you know? Yeah. Totally fair point. But I think as a person, she's quite, I think she's probably quite beautiful inside and outside. 
it sounds like you were entertained by the by the concert itself, but that you were um, you found the message underwhelming, or at least the conveyance thereof underwhelming. Is that yes, fair to and say? I, and I was confused because it's called a, <clears throat> a documentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which has a certain meaning to me, and you know this didn't have it, so I was confused. Mm. But I did enjoy the performance. Yes, you're right. I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed the energy and I enjoyed the, you know, anything that, you know, two people can do in tandem with each other is highly entertaining, I think. (laughs) Um, So, yes, I I was, I loved her as her entertainment, uh, you know, personality, but I didn't really tie it all together. Yeah, that's fair. That's why I said I was confused as to what. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense, Mom. I'm glad that we established that, though, because I don't know how anybody watches the concert itself, put aside the documentary pieces, right? and is not entertained, right? It's just mesmerizing. I mean, right. my God, the, the dancers she had, I mean, it's not only that she's uh. talented, but as a curator and developer of talent around her, yes. that's something extraordinary, too. Most definitely. That those people were so so talented. Everybody that was on that stage was, was yeah. magnificent, just magnificent. What's your grade for homecoming mom? Uh, I'm going to have to give it a B minus just because I, I didn't get the documentary part of it. I mm-hmm. guess. If it was just the show though, I would give it an A plus and you enjoyed it too. I didn't expect to, um, but I mean, not like I expected to hate it, but it wasn't at the top of my Netflix playlist, let's say, right? I don't listen to a ton of Beyonce. Uh, yeah. But I did yeah. not feel like watching Game of Thrones this Sunday, and Anna put this on instead, and I couldn't leave the room. Wow. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. Do you have a recommendation for us this week, Mom? I do have a recommendation. Um, it has a little uh, bit of a warning uh, it's a book called Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. It's a book about a Silicon Valley startup called Theranos that proclaims that it could use just a finger prick of blood and process it in a very small machine as opposed to drawing a vial of blood from your arm. And then it would send the results to your doctor via Wi-Fi in minutes. And it had many, many, many big investors. Uh, I think all told there was over $600 million lost on this scam because it never worked and had lots of big name investors. And, you know, that's, that's what I when I emailed you and I said, I just don't understand how people just dump so much money into this and nobody ever was proven, proved that it worked. Nobody was ever shown that it yeah. actually worked. Their sleight of hand and, and scamming was, it was like sitting ducks to me. Yeah. It's a pretty astonishing tale. And it took a lot to bring it down, but, uh, Somebody finally did. Everything was very secretive and signed this. You can't tell anyone. You can't talk to anyone. And 
It was crazy. It was crazy. And all, all done by uh, one woman's charisma, I guess. Um, and again, some very big names invested a lot of money with her. Yeah, yeah. Just on her word, you know, with no uh, proof that her, her device worked. No proof. No proof. And for years and years, this enterprise went along. I know. And so much so, in fact, that they brought in machines to actually run the tests on, you know, machines that, that are used by laboratories and such, and actually ran the tests on those machines and then said they were from her machine. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, just, just regular it, blood. Yeah. It makes me feel like I could just come up with some crazy ass idea and make a lot of money. <laughs> well, I might go to jail, but wow, you know? Yeah. But she did not get jail time at the end of this book anyway. Uh, no, she's uh, still walking free, I believe. So that's my recommendation. I will say there's a lot of uh, names in, in this book, um, but it's worth, it's worth it because they're names that you only have to remember for a short time because they all get fired. <laughs> and then they're gone and there's new names. Um, and to just, to just get the flavor of this whole story is, is worth it, I think. All right. Uh, that is Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup by John Cararoo, available in bookstores near you or consult your local library. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm stuck with this book. Oh, because you bought it? I did. Why didn't you go to your local library? Because they didn't have it. Oh, okay. That's a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. That was a fun one. That's all for this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture. The question is, what should we talk about, Mom? Something interesting. Something interesting. You heard it here first, and I hope you'll hear it here next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, as always, tell your friends. We love you. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom. Bye, Johnny. I love you. Love you, too.